everybody doing? Welcome back to another episode of the Living Jewishly podcast with Rabbi Marcus and Rabbi Rachel. We are the Rabbis Rubenstein and we're so happy to be back with you here today. We are, absolutely. So how are you doing, Rabbi Rachel? I am doing well. It is getting colder and darker and snowier and slushier and it's winter in Minnesota. It's it's definitely winter in Minnesota. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't get like it needs to be a little colder because we're about to build this ice skating rink here and flood the the water. We're building our first ever uh, Temple of Aaron ice skating rink. So I'd like it to be a little colder so that we could finally flood the ice effectively. I would like to do some research to find out if we are the first synagogue with an ice skating rink. Yes. If someone could do that research for us, one of our generous listeners, can you find out if we are the first ever ice skating rink at a synagogue before? Otherwise, we're just going to claim it. Like, we'll just say it and then that's how we'll do the research. Someone will correct us if we're wrong. a plaque or something? Like, can they put a plaque up? Maybe we can get a plaque of some sort. I love plaques. Who doesn't like plaques? Temple of Aaron loves plaques. That we we do. We love plaques (laughs) at Temple of Aaron. So the ice skating rink is coming. We have been delivering. We just started a new loving kindness initiative at our synagogue uh, to cook and deliver meals to to folks in our community who might need a home-cooked meal. Maybe they're sick or recovering from surgery or just had a baby or... Just need a, a little bit of love and care. And um, and as you know, our program gets going and the word of mouth uh, starts spreading, it's been really great. We've started delivering those meals and feels it feels like we're doing the work. feels like we're doing the good work, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's really an amazing initiative. I really love that. Um, we also have uh, my band uh, just recorded a new song, uh, uh, at least part of my band with the amazing singer Leia. Uh, Leia Kalish, and she is amazing, and so that should be coming out soon. I'm sorry, did you Belia pay to be sponsored on our podcast, or just plug in your plug in your band here? I feel like I, they have an insider <laughs> in the podcast. Okay. I'm just kidding. We are big supporters of Jubilaya. You should like them on Facebook and listen to their new song when it is released. Do you, do you guys have a release date? I was. I heard the first week of January in the new year. That's so exciting. Secular year. (laughs) Secular year. It's not be so (laughs) syncretic as we're going to talk about in a second. Oh, that's so exciting! I can't wait to hear it. Yes, it's very very exciting. And uh, turns out everyone's talking about our previous episode of our podcast in our local Facebook groups. Well, I would say they are indirectly (laughs) indirectly. They're talking about the same topic as our podcast, if not our podcast itself. Um, but yes, lots of lots of buzz about about Christmas trees and Santa Claus and what's Christian and what's secular and and lots lots of good conversation, lots of not so good conversation uh, as as social media conversations tend to go. It's amazing how much like people get so angry about these conversations. Who who knew just about a simple Christmas tree or a menorah or. Uh, Chris, yeah, people get very, very angry about it. Yeah, there's a lot of emotion behind it, and and you can. I think what we've we've learned. I wish more people would learn is that you can read so much tone into written text, um, and it really is a, a spiritual practice to read generosity 
into people's words as opposed to malice. I mean, it's so easy to read someone's written remarks and, and feel like it's attacking or it's malicious. Um, and it's really a spiritual practice. It's a, it's a Jewish concept on the suit. To uh, judge people meritoriously and to really judge people with generosity of intention. Yes, yes. The other thing that's going on in our life is we're preparing in our home for Hadassah's Hanukkah concert, which is really exciting at her preschool, at the JCC preschool near us. And she's going to star in the Hanukkah concert. She's been practicing at home her I'm Hanukkah not, songs. I'm not her star. I'm very, very hyperbolic when I say star. <laughs> uh, but She has. She's been singing at the top of her lungs. Uh, a huge shout out to Wendy Baldinger of Wendy's Wiggle Jiggle and Jam, who is her uh, a phenomenal local children's musician and uh, and our daughter's music teacher at school. Uh, she's done a great, great job preparing these kids. They're, they are excited. They're singing. It's pretty cute. And I think we're going to take a wager here uh, between uh, Rabbi Rachel and I. Maybe we'll include our parents. Anybody else who wants to join, just let me know. Uh, if uh, Hadassah will actually open her mouth and sing during this concert, or she will just stand there silently and we will all come and take hours off from our day in order to see her stand there with the other kids. Yeah. There's got to be um, a pretty, a pretty big over under there because I think there's about a 97% chance she will stand there staring blankly at us. Even though she loves singing, even though she loves singing. It's true. It's true. <laughs> The, the fun, the most funny thing about this is how early you have to get here for this preschool concert. Like this is a hot concert. You think it's like a Taylor Swift concert right here? It's true. They emailed that the doors are opening like forty five minutes before the concert starts. Forty five minutes, <laughs> and you have to get there to get to get your seats. And there's rules about how many seats you can save. And it's a whole, it's a whole volagon, but it's good. <laughs> it's 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 uh, it's something. It's something. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. So a lot, lot of stuff going on. What is our what is our question today? What is our question? Our question today is. Would the Maccabees hate us? Hate, hate, hate. I mean, I think to delve into that question, the the question behind the question is, who are the Maccabees? Right? Who are these people that we think might hate us? It's a big, it's a big claim. Right. Who are the Maccabees? It's a really good question. Right. So the Maccabees are the heroes of the Hanukkah story. Right, a Maccababy's got to do what a Maccababy's got to do. <laughs> you just got to go back to the Rugrats. I don't under, like. We can have Hanukkah without the Rugrats, okay? No, 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 we cannot have Hanukkah. It's like Christmas without Santa Claus, okay? Oh, you just can't. You can't oh do it. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Who are the Maccabees? They are a group of Jewish zealots. They were fighting against the Syrian Greek army. Uh, the Syrian Greeks had uh, um, control over the lands of Israel at the time. And they really saw uh, the the Jews in in Israel as kind of a colony of the of the Greek Empire, um, and as such, they wanted to Hellenize. They wanted to assimilate uh, the entire society into Greek culture. So that was uh, secular Greek culture and religious Greek culture. If you can uh, kind of uh, put our modern day lens on an, on an ancient culture, so that was the theater and the and the sports and the coliseums and the uh, and the academies, and it was also the religion. It was also uh, putting an altar to Zeus in the temple. Um, and the Maccabees were a small group of of Jews who uh, felt strongly that um, that there was no place for Hellenic culture in Judaism. 
that whether it be kind of the more innocuous secular aspects or the more uh, directly problematic aspects of the religious culture, there was no place for Greek culture um, in Judaism. Right. And I, I think that's where it brings us again to, to us here because they weren't really just fighting against the Greeks, right? They were also fighting against Jews, all other Jews who were okay with Greek culture, and uh, right. That's kind Greek of the culture. that's kind of the hidden part of the Hanukkah story we don't talk about so much is that in some ways it was it was a little bit of a civil war within the Jewish people. Um, there were plenty of Jews in society who were quite happy to assimilate into Greek culture and to assimilate parts of Greek culture into their lives. Yeah, exactly. So, so there were there were a lot of Jews who were happy with that, and I think that in some ways, you know, matches with myself and Rabbi Rachel and conservative Judaism, Reform Judaism, certainly uh, modern Orthodoxy as well, uh, Reconstruction, basically uh, progressive branches of Judaism, at least that believe that. Um, we can accept our American identity with our Jewish identity. We can have our lox and bagels and our uh, apple pie at the same time. You know, lox and bagels. That's the, that's the Jewish part of the equation. I'm trying to make it light here. Okay, you know, I'm trying to make it light. Right, but like we can celebrate Thanksgiving and we can celebrate Hanukkah. That's like that's a big. Um, a big statement about our acceptance of American culture. Right. Exactly. So. So. Um, the question is then, would these Maccabees, would these freedom fighters, these religious cells, would they hate us? And is, is, is if, if that is true, if they would have hated us, then, you know, should we be celebrating Hanukkah or how should we be celebrating Hanukkah? If so, a big part of the story behind it is this uh, religious fundamentalism, zealotry, that Judaism can only be uh, exactly what it is. It cannot mix with any other culture. Jews can't mix with any other uh, foreign cultures in that regard. I mean, I think a big question or another way to ask this question is like, where do we locate ourselves in the story? I mean, I think whenever we read any story, certainly kind of a Jewish mythology, like we want to locate ourselves. Are we, are we Maccabees? Are we Hellenized Jews? Are we Greeks? Are we like, who are we? Who are we in this story? I think we do that all the time when we read the Bible, when we read different stories, we want to locate ourselves in that story. And it's, it's not so easy to make the argument that we're Maccabees based on how we live our lives and the values we hold. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so that, that makes it really difficult, I, I think for us. And it's sort of a criticism of our Judaism in a way, maybe we should be more you know, uh, rejecting of Greek culture and everything like this. And, and maybe that should be the story of, of Hanukkah, certainly for, for ultra Orthodox Jews. That's a big part of it. It's the rejection of secular culture, um, which we of course have rejected. Uh, we've rejected that idea. <laughs> we've rejected we've the rejected, rejection. <laughs> we've rejected the idea of rejecting that idea. Um, but on the other side of things, there's also, I would say a criticism from the left as well of saying, wait a second, like, what's the deal with this holiday? Why are we celebrating in the first place if it's a celebration of ideas and values that we don't hold? Like, if, if Hanukkah really is about the celebration of fundamentalism and zealotry and the rejection of secular culture, right, then what should we be celebrating it, right? Is it something that we should um, be doing, that maybe we should be protesting against that and not doing that? There was a, a very famous article that sort of got in my head from – uh, Michael David Lucas, uh, he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times in 2018 called The Hypocrisy of Hanukkah, um, where he basically argues that you know Hanukkah really is not worth observing because of the values of uh, – that it enshrines the values of zealotry and fundamentalism. Um, and, and he basically in the end says he observes it anyway 
for the very fact, uh, specifically so his kid won't celebrate Christmas, right? Because he feels like if he doesn't celebrate Hanukkah, then his kid is going to celebrate Christmas, even though he hates the holiday itself, right? So is that how we should be feeling about Hanukkah? And that doesn't sound like a very good idea either. In that, in that way, the question is, would the Maccabees hate us or should we hate the Maccabees? Right, right. Like, so, so from the other end. And, and look, the, 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 that issue is still so very live. I just saw a Twitter post from one of my uh, very good friends, Rabbi Mark Goodman, and I, m- many of his tweets I really love. But this one I was like, wait a second. He, he said, what are your, your, your favorite parts of what, – what, why do you love Hanukkah? Or what is, what is, some, what is what you love about Hanukkah? Or what, what, what matches your thoughts about Hanukkah the most? And he says, number one. You like Hanukkah because you love greasy foods, right? Number two, you like Hanukkah. You don't like – Hanukkah is not a big deal anyway. Why are we making a big deal? It's a minor holiday. It's not as important as Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah or Passover or something else. And the third option, of course, uh, you know, uh, was uh, very similar to this article. I'm very uncomfortable with zealotry and fundamentalism. Why are we celebrating this holiday ever? And it was very funny because for him – these were the three options. Like, what other option could there be in terms of celebrating Hanukkah for an open-minded Jew, right? And and I think that's the problem, right? It, it can't just be these three things. Like, there it, there has to be meaning behind this holiday. And and of course, uh, Spark Note, uh, Rabbi Rachel, and I do think there's huge meaning, and we love this holiday. Um, but that's 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 sort of kind of sad. That's the only. Those are the three options per se. Uh-uh. So let's take a step back. Let's take a step back from this question and talk about our own experiences with Hanukkah. Like, what are your memories? What are your family traditions surrounding Hanukkah? <sighs> Me lighting a Hanukkah candle menorah in the kitchen. Okay. We would light our menorah in the kitchen. Was there a window there? No window. Okay. No window, but it was safe. It was fire safe. We did it over the stove. Um, oh, that's so your dad. <laughs> yes. It was very, it was very safe. Um, my my parents are rule followers, uh, very proud rule followers, and uh, and regardless, they 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 lit it there, and um, I, I remember presents. Um, it, it's funny, we actually went over a family's member. I didn't realize this growing up, but we actually would go over a, a family a relative's house, and us they would give out Christmas presents, and we kind of celebrate Christmas. I'm putting quotation marks around that. I didn't even know I was doing this, but as, as when I was like four or five, this would be happening. Um, so those are kind of my memories of Hanukkah. I really don't, I mean, I, I remember greasy foods. I remember dreidel and like sitting at the kitchen table playing, but I don't really remember. I remember the Rugrats Hanukkah, of course, the Rugrats Hanukkah special. Um, but I don't really like that. That's, that's Hanukkah for me, basically. Hmm. I mean, Hanukkah was a big deal in my family. It's a very judgmental. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, hmm. That's not very good. Oh, we'll move right along. My, <laughs> I grew up at Jewish day school, so Hanukkah was a big deal for oh, us. Look at you. Look, look at you. Look, look, look. Um, and it's funny because both myself and my oldest brother, we definitely both went through phases of, I'll call them Maccabee phases. <laughs> Maccabee. I've never heard about the Maccabee. You had a Maccabee phase? Back to our question. Um, uh, Yeah, both my oldest brother and I. My oldest brother, it manifested. I remember one year, my mom put the Hanukkah presents underneath our coffee table. Like, to, and my brother got so mad because he thought it was like putting them under a tree. And so he was like, can't put them under the coffee table because it was too similar to Christmas for him to like putting them under a Christmas tree. 
Um, and I remember for me, when I was in like maybe middle school or early high school, I told my parents that um, I didn't want any Hanukkah gifts. I didn't believe in Hanukkah gifts because it wasn't Jewish to give Hanukkah gifts. And I just wanted them to like, I was very into Heifer International at the time, which is a, a nonprofit that um, you can make a donation and like purchase uh, farm animals for people in the developing world. Um, so I like wanted them to like purchase a goat or something for, <laughs> for someone in the developing world instead of instead of giving a Hanukkah gift. Um, so like both of us went through kind of our own Maccabee phase of like, we don't want the assimilation parts of this holiday. We don't need it to be like Jewish Christmas. We are like happy with our Judaism and don't want to take part in either the commercialization or the Christmification of, of Hanukkah. Right. Right. And I want to, I want to tell people, I mean, this is just an important fact to know, like you might not know this, but like giving gifts on Hanukkah is not part of the holiday. There's nothing in Jewish tradition that says that you should be giving gifts on, on Hanukkah. Right. We, we have a holiday where we give gifts. There's a mitzvah to actually give gifts on this holiday. It is Purim. Right, Purim, we have a mitzvah to give gifts to friends and give gifts to people. Hanukkah, we don't have us. Yes, it's a time of joy. We have a mitzvah to light the menorah to remember the miracle of the oil that lasted eight days. And there's the guilt aspect, right? There's like the giving kids like little coins, or like there's like that part of it, but not not presents for sure. Yeah, not we not not I would not say gifts in that regard. And I mean, I would say that's probably part of where I was coming from is I had a very robust Jewish life, right? So like we celebrated Sukkot, we celebrated Purim. I was like in Jewish day school. So I, it was kind of immersive in my life. Um, so maybe I didn't feel the need for like Hanukkah presence because I had tons of, I mean, it felt like we were constantly celebrating Jewish holidays, like Jewish, there's so many Jewish holidays. I remember thinking like poor Christians, all they get is like Christmas and Easter. We have Hanukkah, we have holidays like every month, like ours, you know, like I, I remember feeling that as a kid, like, wow, our religion is very full. It has a lot of like ritual. It has a lot of celebration. It has a lot of great things. So maybe that was part of the reason why I didn't feel the need for Hanukkah gifts. I'll say now as an adult, I like presents. What are you going to do? I'm not going to say no, no presents. Thank God Rachel's really easy to give presents to because it's like, oh, I saw a cute pair of socks, you know, at the store and she loves it. So That's true. Marcus always laughs that like Patino, which is a local uh, Minnesota chain of like a home home goods store uh, that you like literally can just walk in there and like close your eyes and point and you'll find something I'll yes. love. It's like a, every man's secret weapon. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, one time I actually bought her a gift from that store and it was, I had already bought that same thing from her and I didn't even like realize. six months prior. He yeah. bought me the exact same mug twice. <laughs> it was very Rachel and who can't use a second mug. Um, okay. So those are, are some of our, uh, it's just very interesting. Our different experiences sort of growing up in me from public school and, and you in day school and sort of different understandings and different ways of seeing Hanukkah and how like the presents were Hanukkah. Like there was, who cares about lighting the menorah? I mean, we did it. It was whatever. And that's, but that's when you knew you were getting your presents after you lit the menorah. That's when you get your presents. Oh, right? I'll say, yeah, I forgot to say lighting the Hanukkah was like a big deal in my family. We had this folding table. I was so sad when my mom threw it away as when we were adults. Cause when we were growing up, we had this one folding table that had like a plastic top to it. And it had all of these holes and burn marks in it because that was the table we used to light all of our Hanukkah. And we would put it in our front window. Um, and we had each, 
each of us had our own Hanukkah. So we would light, there were six of us with all my, my parents and siblings. There would be like six Hanukkah. Um, it was very full. We would, I, I remember, um, like working. So I would, you know, pick the colorful candles and I'd make different patterns each night with the different colors of the candles. Like that was a really big deal. And I remember my mom would put band-aids over the holes in the table. So we had this like old, I was so upset when she, I'm still upset about it that she threw that away. I still, I still miss it. Still feeling it. Yeah. So those are some of our holiday traditions from the past. Um, and yeah, just just very interesting um, the differences in sort of the way we grew up. And I, I, look, I think it really goes back to saying like teaching a value centered Judaism in which we take our practices seriously means that we have a more robust Judaism, a more satisfying Judaism, a more joyful Judaism that's not about the materiality of of presence and gift giving and what what do I get for me, but more about like immersing ourselves in the tradition and and feeling the depth of it. And I think that's really just just so important in, in everything that we do and in the way we raise our children today. Um, so, so let's talk about Hanukkah actually being meaningful is, is, I, I, I think it'd be ridiculous to ask you after that saying, is Hanukkah meaningful for you? Right. And I think the answer would probably be yes. But if so, like why is Hanukkah meaningful for you, Rabbi Rachel Rubenstein? Yeah. I mean, I, for me, I think like there, I don't know if there's anything in Judaism that I would say this is not meaningful. I mean, it's, it's such a, there's so much depth exactly as you were saying before, there's so much depth to each of our holidays, to each of our rituals that if you dig into it, it, it like, it really breaks my heart that so many people stop their Jewish education at 13 when they have their, their bar bat mitzvah, because that's so sad to only have a children's understanding of our, of our religion. Like of all you ever know is he, the Hebrew school version of, of holidays and rituals and, and Torah and, and meaning. It's, it's just, it breaks my heart because there's so much depth to it. And it's and, like saying, you know, the Lord of the Rings after only watching the Hobbit. I mean, come on, right. You even know my reference. I mean, I know what the Lord of the Rings is. I, uh, I have to say, I know I don't know the Lord of the Rings from from the Hobbit. I, I don't know the Lord of the Rings. It's like from it's like saying you love Star Wars or, or you know Star Wars, and I, and 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 you you don't like it after only seeing Episode One, like the Phantom Menace. Like you know, so you're you're trying you know two, no. two for two on, on striking two out two. on those metaphors. But I I got where you're coming from. I got, got you. I got, got you. Got <laughs> um. Uh, so I mean, there's a lot that's meaningful about Hanukkah. I'll, I'll turn it to you. Like what specifically in your, in your understanding of Hanukkah feels really meaningful to you? Yeah. I, look, I, I think Hanukkah is extremely meaningful. I love, I love, love, love this holiday, which is maybe why these op-eds and these posts kind of get to me. Cause I, I really love Hanukkah. Um, number one, I think the meaning comes again in the depth, right? So Hanukkah actually as a holiday really was a replacement for Sukkot of the, in the year of the war. Why? The holiday of Sukkot uh, falls in Tishrei. It's it's uh, uh, seven days in which a sa- special sacrifices were made in the temple um, uh, for a celebration of Sukkot, um, and and people from all around the world would come to Sukkot um, to the temple to make these sacrifices, both non-Jews and Jews, by the way. Um, and it was one of the it was the most important holiday of the year. And unfortunately, in the year of the conflict with the Greeks. The Maccabees were not able to observe uh, the holiday. Why? Because the uh, the Greeks had uh, impurified the temple. They were uh, they erected a statue of Zeus in the temple, um, so they couldn't actually make the sacrifices in the temple. So they re- so they sort of uh, 
came up with replacement days uh, for for the holiday of Sukkot, um, and they did it in Kislev instead of Tishrei. They did it about two months later, right? And that's why we have eight days of Hanukkah, actually, right? Is historically probably because it was trying to match um, what would happen in Sukkot, where it was these seven days, which then became eight days with Shemini Atzeret, the eighth day of assembly, um, and, and it was a replacement of the two. Uh, we need to pause. That was like, you just dropped some a truth bomb there. It's a truth bomb, yeah. That is why there's eight days of Hanukkah. Have you heard about the oil? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, I, this is, again, this is what I love is like our mo- we we have like maybe some, well, the reason why something happened, and then we sort of also build myths and we build stories on top of it, which which could both be true, right? But but um, we we love having a plurality of these different stories, whether it was the oil, whether it was a replacement of Sukkot. But the reason I I, I think I bring that specifically up is because you know Sukkot. I love the idea that. We're fighting, we're fighting this day, but we're still going to keep our Judaism. Even though we couldn't do Sukkot, we're going to do it now, we're going to do it again, and we're going to find a way to do our Judaism, even though we're being persecuted, and even though we're being oppressed and pushed away, right? That's, like, such an important part of, of Sukkot. And also to, like, integrate the values of Sukkot within Hanukkah wouldn't be such a bad thing, right? The values of Sukkot is sort of this global celebration where all of the nations of the world can come and make these sacrifices. And a lot of times when we think about Hanukkah, it's like such a Jewish identity holiday. But if it was a replacement for Sukkot, it was a replacement for a day that when sacrifices were offered for all of the nations. And, it, and Sukkot really was one of the most um, open holidays of the year where all peoples came to the temple to worship God. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, like even the, the primary ritual of the two holidays are almost the inverse of one another. If on Sukkot, we leave our homes and go out into the world, into this open air hut, and we kind of say we are going out into the world, Hanukkah is a little bit about inviting the world into our homes, that we light our, our Hanukkiot in the window or right outside our doorways um, to invite a little bit of the world into our into our home and say, like, come come see how we observe our, our religious traditions. Right. Beautiful. hundred percent. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I, I think for me also Hanukkah, the message of Hanukkah, we talk too much about victory and like how it's all about the Jews overcoming and beating the Greeks and winning and winning this and miraculously winning. When when the holiday is not called Nitzachon, it's not called victory. I said this in my sermon last week. It's 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 called rededication. That what's essential about the holiday of Hanukkah um is 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 the rededicating to Jewish values. Uh, rededicating to Jewish life, rededicating ourselves to worshiping God, not beating the enemy, right? That's, it, it's, we're overcoming the enemy in order to rededicate ourselves to what truly is important, right? And so uh, the rabbis chose to call the holiday Hanukkah and not Nitzachon for that reason, because it's about that rededication. I, I find that meaningful. You know, Hanukkah is 72 days uh, after, uh, after Yom Kippur, and uh, Yom Kippur, we make all these big goals and aspirations of how our year is going to be better. And I like to think of Hanukkah as a time. Okay, we've had, we've gone through the holidays, we've we've went through, we've had some normal time. Um, now the going is getting tough. It's getting colder outside. We see less light. Um, how are we doing? Let's do a check in and kind of see how we're connecting to our values. Are we are we sort of meeting our goals in the real world? And so it's 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 a very very helpful in that way. I love that, just like seasonally too, right? If you have um, like the fall when the air is crisp and you're outside and it feels like there's a lot of possibility and you're making all of these 
um, resolutions and ideas of how you want to be in the world at Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, um, like then a check-in when it's dark and cold, uh, it feels like just seasonally, it feels really appropriate. Like this is probably one of the harder times to, to be the people you want to be in the world. It's hard. It's, it's easy to go insular. It's easy to kind of stick to yourself and not, not put yourself out into the world and, and make the changes and be the person you want to be in the world. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I love, I love that added meaning that you gave it there. I never thought of it that way. That's, that's, that's wonderful. Um, I, I think lastly, in terms of why Hanukkah is meaningful to me as well, is that is specifically the idea of Pursume Nisa, um, which in Arab, Aramaic means the publication of the miracle, that there's specifically sort of a, a, a value or a mitzvah to publicize the miracle of, of the, the, you know, in, in a very detailed way of the oil lasting eight days instead of one day, but really to magnify the, the, the idea of the power of God and the power uh, that God has in our lives, the miracles of our, of our everyday life, um, and, and, and the miracle of Judaism and, and to publicize Judaism in the world. And that's not a value we hold very often. It's the reason why we're supposed to be um, lighting the menorah in a public area. It's a mitzvah to actually uh, the the essence of the mitzvah of lighting the Hanukkah menorah is actually to light it outside. It, it's usually lit outside. It's supposed to be lit outside one's house. The only reason why we light it inside in the first place in most houses in America is because of anti-Semitism, right? Which is unbelievable. I think you talk to most American Jews, they would never know that you're supposed to light the menorah outside, or you know, because it's it's become so we've gotten so used to sort of living with anti-Semitism that we don't do that anymore that we only light it inside. People compensate by lighting it in a window um, so that it can be seen to the world, unless you're a part of my family where we lit it in the, the, the windowless kitchen. Um, but, but regardless, and, and so when, when you go to Israel, you actually see this. So if you walk around Israel, especially in the old city, you actually see people kind of put their, they, they have like a separate stand for their menorah in a glass box next to their mailbox usually, right? And where they have their menorah like pointed out towards the street. Um, and so Hanukkah really is a holiday. It's supposed to be about like publicizing our, our Judaism and not being afraid of our identity and, and being okay being publicly Jewish. Um, and this for me at least, I, I think this is very important for me. I mean, as, especially as a rabbi, I try to be publicly Jewish all the time so other Jews can see me and say, oh, this is a Jewish space. This is a space where I can be Jewish too, and I don't have to be afraid. So that's the reason where a lot of the times I try to walk outside. Uh, when I'm walking outside in public wearing a kippah, uh, I try to, um, and, I, and, I, and I, I guess more radically, especially for conservative rabbis, I wear my tzitzit out. I wear uh, a four-corner garment most of the time and try to wear my tzitzit out, even though a lot of people might look at that and say, that's kind of strange, or that's kind of weird, or that's different. I try to do that so people can look around and say, oh, this is a space that I can be Jewish. This is a space where I could be uh, safe in that regard and in, in, in actually being Jewish publicly, which has not always been true in this country. And so I think Hanukkah is a time when we can celebrate that, where we can actually be public about our Judaism. So those are a couple of ways that, that the, the reason that Hanukkah is sort of uh, meaningful for me. All right, let's answer this question, right? So let's, after talking about all our traditions— Let's answer this question about would the Maccabees sort of hate us? So in order to answer this question, we really have to talk about what what is Hanukkah about? Is it truly about religious zealotry and fundamentalism? Right. I mean, so what you said earlier, like uh, most of our religion is about layers. It's about layers of meaning, right? There's initial reasons why we do things. And then there's, uh, there's layers of stories that are put on top of that and layers of mythology. I mean, that's true of all of our holidays, right? A lot of our holidays have agricultural significance about 
agricultural uh, time periods in ancient Israel, but then they're given additional meaning about God and, and our mythology on top of it. And, and the same is true of Hanukkah. We have this like maybe historic, semi-historic military story about the Maccabees and uh, this group of zealots taking over the, the temple and reclaiming the temple and rededicating the temple. Um, but that's actually not the story that the rabbis tell. The rabbis who created any semblance of what we would call Judaism today um, are the rabbis of the Talmud. And in the Talmud, uh, Hanukkah is, um, is like talk about minor holidays. It is a super minor holiday, right? It's like just a couple of pages hidden in the, in the, in the Talmud. And it even starts with like the most fascinating question. It starts my Hanukkah, which means in Aramaic, what is Hanukkah? Like the rabbis literally have to stop and say like, we like kind of know what this thing called Hanukkah is, but like, what was that story again? Like it was such a minor holiday. It was such a minor significance that even the rabbis have to ask themselves, like, what is this? And the story they tell is not one of military victory. The story they tell is about the oil. That's where we get the story of uh, the one little jar of oil that they found in the temple that was only enough to light the menorah for one day. And they didn't have enough time to make more pure oil. But a miracle happened and the oil lasted for eight days until they had time to, to procure more purified oil for the for the temple. Um, that's the story that the rabbis choose to highlight. Like they choose to highlight this story, not of religious zealotry, but of faith and of miracles and of God. Right. And I, I want to just uh, push you on that a little bit because I don't I don't know if it's really just to reinterpret maybe a little bit. I don't know if the rabbis really don't know what Hanukkah is. Right. I think they might know what Hanukkah is. But they're choosing to reinterpret it. They're choosing to say, this is what Hanukkah is and this is what it's not, right? Implicitly, if you read between the lines, like you might think the holiday is about military victory. It really is about, you know, the miracle of, of the candles. And they might have specifically been doing that for very positive reasons. Right. And you could push us. You could say, well, the rabbis were living in a, in a certain time period. They were living under the control of the Romans. And so they might have been scared to highlight a story about a small group of Jews who overthrew the empire uh, to reclaim their temple, right? Like they might not have wanted to tell that story under the Roman censorship. They might've been afraid to tell that story. But I think there's also the argument that that's also just not the story they wanted to tell, that they themselves were fighting against religious zealotry and they themselves had kind of been in this very tumultuous time period um, of religious zealotry. And they were telling a different story uh, to their students and, and to their communities. Right. And that's the power of the rabbis. If we keep coming back to this idea that one of the reasons I think both Rabbi Rachel, and I love the rabbis is they keep the traditions of Judaism. Like they keep the actions of Judaism, but they're so, they always feel so free to reinterpret the traditions of Judaism and reinterpret the meanings of, of what our traditions mean to them. Even sometimes when it seems very different than the original meaning. And, and, and there's something that's very sort of heroic about that and, and beautiful. And, and I think in some ways we do the same thing. And I mean, I think very significantly, the story of the Maccabees is not in our Bible, right? It's it's what we would call apocrypha. It's it's a story that's outside of the canon of our Bible. Um, but it's you know it's it's not in our biblical canon, and and that's really significant, right? Like they chose to keep this story of the Maccabees out of our holy scripture. 
Right. And specifically, if you read that book, it really is about the military victory, the civil unrest that was going on there, and not as much about the miracle of the candles. And so the rabbis choose to sort of exclude that story. So knowing that, so knowing that even the rabbis were maybe uncomfortable with the story of the Maccabees, like where do we find ourselves today? What We clearly are uh, integrated into American culture. We embrace a lot of American culture. So where do we find ourselves in relation to the Maccabees? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really good question you're asking, and I I think it really first gets down to this idea of syncretism. So syncretism um, is is a term that means really the mixing of different religions or different cultures together, um, and religious syncretism obviously being this the mixing together of different religious traditions. And and I want to argue, uh, and I want to say like I think there's bad syncretism, or or and then there's productive syncretism. So like for example, um, you know, there's a setting up Zeus in the temple. Right, which I, I think would be similar to us as invoking Jesus uh, as as Messiah in in, a, in our synagogues today, right? And uh, eating communion or something like that in a synagogue, which would obviously be a very big no no uh, for a Jew. Um, versus, you know, uh, what I would call productive syncretism, which is okay because I'm Jewish doesn't mean that I can't engage with any other culture in the world or can't enjoy or appreciate. And for this, you know, can a Jew watch baseball, right? You know, there were a lot of rabbis in, in, in the 20th century, early 20th century said, no, you can't watch baseball. You can't do that. That's too American, right? That's not Jewish to watch that thing. But, but I, you know, I think for us, like, there's nothing wrong with watching baseball. There's nothing, there, there's something beautiful about actually being part of American culture. And we celebrate that, that, uh, you know, or, and, and I, what I would call is that's productive syncretism, having those similarities with our neighbors and having those things to talk about and those things that we enjoy together allows us to work across religious lines and cultural lines so that we can work together for a bigger cause, right? For something that's uh, to create a just society, a just diverse society in the country we live in, right? That is what I would call productive syncretism, which Look, maybe the Maccabees were against, but I don't. I, I don't choose. To, I, don't, I don't say that's that's bad syncretism. That's something that we should flee from. On the other hand, setting up Zeus inside the temple is something that we should all be fighting against, right? Yes, we should keep our our, our religion distinct uh, from Christianity and from other religions as well, right? There's something to celebrate that's uniquely Jewish. Judaism is not about making our religion look exactly like Christianity or Islam or Hinduism or something else, right? But rather, it's it's so much about celebrating what's uniquely distinct about our values and our traditions. So then, where does that place Hanukkah, right? Is is our celebration of Hanukkah in America today, is that productive syncretism or problematic syncretism? It's a good question. In some ways you might argue it's 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 bad, right? Like in the fact that like we give presents. Why do we give presents? Because Jewish children are upset that they're not getting presents on on uh, on uh, like like the Christians are for Christmas. So therefore, we have to have a holiday in which we give presents. Right? Or even I would say like the universalization of the Hanukkah message, right? Like you see a lot of Hanukkah decor in uh, in stores. That's like love, light, and peace. Hanukkah, right? Like they just kind of like universalize <laughs> right. the message of Hanukkah. Like, and is that right? Is like is that losing the, the the things that we love about Hanukkah, the depth and the nuance and the uniqueness of our religious traditions. Yeah. I, look, I think on what, yes, I, I, don't, I don't agree with the love, light and peace thing. Who, who likes love, light and peace? But um, <laughs> for the record, we do. We do like love, light and peace. <laughs> seems like Rabbi Rachel doesn't. Um, but regardless, I, I think, look, you can either look at this as bad syncretism or you can actually look at this as productive syncretism, right? Because you could say, okay, Jews needed something to celebrate because Christians were celebrating Christmas. If if there was no Hanukkah, then maybe Jews would celebrate Christmas, 
and Jews would have a Hanukkah, uh, 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 Christmas tree. It's going to say Hanukkah bush. They were going to have, a, they would have a Christmas tree and they would, okay, we don't have this. Our children are too upset. But instead, Jews said, actually, let's take this minor holiday and let's make it bigger. Let's really celebrate it and let's, let's give gifts on it. That's the thing you do when you're joyful. You give gifts. It's wonderful. And a byproduct of that is saying, oh, Jewish children can also be happy during this time, and we could be happy with our culture and our traditions and our holidays, and we could find meaning even within the small parts of our tradition as well, instead of just trying to uh, be something else or be, 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 uh, do a different religion, right? So maybe I would say you can argue it's productive syncretism. And I would say there's something powerful to me about the idea that Right. Like you said that, you know, throughout Jewish history, it has been dangerous to light the Hanukkah. It's been dangerous to light it outside because of anti-Semitism. And certainly there's anti-Semitism in our world today. That goes without saying. Maybe it doesn't go without saying, so I'll say it. Um, But there is something like kind of, I'll say, miraculous or at least awe-inspiring about the idea that we have like Paw Patrol Hanukkah books and Peppa Pig Hanukkah books and Mickey Mouse Hanukkah and Rugrats Hanukkah. I knew you were going to say, I was like, wow, that's the fourth one, Rugrats Hanukkah. (laughs) Well, Rugrats is not high on our child's list. Um, But, you know, like there, you could say, well, they're just trying to make money and they'll, you know, you could, they'll sell to, and that's like the, you know, the cynic way of looking at it. But the kind of awe inspiring way of looking at it is like, there is something powerful about the broad acceptance that Judaism has in our culture today. And like, maybe that's not bad syncretism. Maybe that is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'm going to, I would like to take a step back from this though, and just say like, let, let's also look at, look back at zealotry and fundamentalism here and say, I, I, I think as it would be helpful for us as American Jews to say, let's take Hanukkah as a time to take a step back from American culture and say, are we fulfilling our duties as Jews in the world? Are we maintaining our Jewish identity? Are we able to be public Jews in the world? Or are we not, right? It's it's sort of a check-in and saying, are we able to overcome the forces that are trying to, you know, that are uh, either directly or indirectly try to uh, assimilate us or to take away our Jewish identity? Are we, do we have that backbone to overcome those greater forces? Even though that we're a tiny, tiny population, do we have the ability to be Jews in this world? And I think in that way, maybe we do need a little bit of zealotry with that, right? Maybe there's some healthy zealotry of like, you know what, I'm going to be Jewish, right? I, I'm going to, because we know that in this world, we're all so busy. If you don't specifically make time and say, I'm going to do Shabbos, or I'm going to do Pesach, right? Or I'm going to light Shabbat cans, or whatever it may be, right? Then it doesn't happen. And you need some kind of like, I'm doing this no matter what, we're doing this, and we're going to maintain our Jewish identity. And I think we even, I think we need that. We need a reminder of that. So I think it's also bad for us to like sort of throw out zealotry and fundamentalism altogether. So a little, little tiny bit of spice of fundamentalism is perhaps zealotry, I might say, is, uh, might be a little bit productive, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think there is something, I don't know if this is zealotry, but there's something so powerful about that famous image of, um, Hanukkah in, I think it's Berlin, right? During the Holocaust. And you have outside the window, you see the big Nazi flag. And in the window, you see the Hanukkah. Um, and there's like something, there's something is really powerful about the idea that we have survived because we've held on so tightly to who we are. Um, and because we live in a, in a society with Paw Patrol Hanukkah that feels like we can 
let go a little bit, you know, we can unclench a little bit. Um, you know, maybe we are losing a little bit of that zest or zealotry for Judaism and for the power that our unique religion has in our lives. Yeah. So I think, look, in the end, again, uh, with a lot of answers in Judaism, it's both. I think we need to maintain a little bit of that spice of fundamentalism, that sort of Jewish backbone that says, I'm going to be Jewish no matter what. Right. But that, you know, I, I don't think that means to reactively uh, sort of be allergic to any American custom or traditions just because they're American. Right. That's not what we're saying. And I, I think that's very unproductive. Right. Um, and so I think we need to actually in the end have 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 both in that regard. And that's actually that would be the productive way to go about it. So, so to get back to our question, sort of would the Maccabees hate us? Maybe. Yeah, I would say maybe. They maybe would. There's a strong maybe. And like, would we hate the Maccabees? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Does that stop us from observing Hanukkah and finding it meaningful? Right. Like, did the rabbis hate the Maccabees? Would the Maccabees hate the rabbis? Right. Like, these these are real questions. Right. And like, very possibly so. The question could be the answer could be maybe. Right. A big maybe. Right. But that maybe is a powerful maybe. It's it, it really is. Uh, uh, something, something really meaningful that we could we could sort of learn a lesson from the the Maccabees and sort of the way they overcame and the way they clung to their Jewish identity and say, well, we're going to be a little different, um, and and we're going to act in the world a little differently. Maybe we're going to appreciate some of the things that the Maccabees did and celebrate those things, um, and, and maybe not others. And and that's like perfectly okay. That's what the rabbis have been doing for centuries, and that's again why the rabbis prioritize the story about the oil. Right. And not about the military victory. And we could do the same thing today. That's perfectly fine. We're just following in the footsteps of our sages before us who did the same thing. Um, so I think that, that that's that's extremely, extremely important. I'd like to think, at least, though, that the Maccabees really weren't about pettily um, saying no to things like baseball and apple pie. Right. It, is, is it really worth killing people over that? I really hope not. I really hope that wasn't the, the problem. I hope what the Maccabees were concerned about was sacrificing to Zeus in the temple. Right. Like that's we have to be able to draw a line somewhere and say this. This absolutely cannot happen, even though we're part of this society. Um, but that's a hope. It's a hope. Hmm. So what are your concluding thoughts? Where do we take it from here? Where do we take it from here? Look, I think some of the messages I think we, we taught here are really, really essential, right? That we have sort of control of our Judaism to say what the narrative is and to interpret the story the way we want to interpret the story, the way the rabbis did. That, that the Hanukkah story really is about rededicating ourselves to our Jewish values wherever we find them, to uh, make sure that we're not afraid to be Jewish, that we can publicize our Judaism, where we can be public about our Judaism. We don't need to only be Jewish in the home. Right, the, the values of finding that light within the darkness, as we were talking about, even when being a Jew is tough, to have the backbone bone to find that Judaism wherever we wherever we are. Absolutely, you know, I think that there is um, an additional layer of like really embracing our Judaism in its our totality and in its nuance and in its multi layeredness. Like if we're able to do that, then we're able to engage with Judaism as an adult and not just as a, um, at, at a level of a, of a child. And that's powerful. Exactly. It, it, very, very important. But I, you know, look, I, I don't want to leave off and say, you know, uh, important part of our concluding conversation is a rejection of a certain kind of fundamentalism as, uh, and zealotry that there is 
productive syncretism, which might be a disagreement from the Maccabees, but is also something that should be celebrated as a positive force within our lives and that we can also celebrate on Hanukkah as well, right? As bringing light into the darkness, finding that light in the darkness and keeping us Jewish, even when it's hard to be a Jew sometimes. Where can people purchase their productive syncretism t-shirts? Oh, definitely <laughs> selling that. Yes. Productive syncretism. I love it. Um, okay. So, so I think those are our thoughts. I mean, obviously we could talk There's about so much more to say. There's Thank so goodness say. Hanukkah comes every year and we can record another episode next year on all of our other thoughts on Hanukkah. Another another Hanukkah of, of who else hates us, right? There's always somebody else that might hate us. So <laughs> We can do a mini-series. Who hates us today? <laughs> yes, exactly. The daily hate. Um, yes. Um, okay. So so th- th- those are our thoughts. Um, always remember to uh, rate, subscribe, review our podcast. Um, remember, you can always uh, email us uh, at livingjewishlypodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. Um, we mm-hmm. just love having you. We're so glad we have your ears and we're so glad you've chosen to listen today. Um, please be part of that conversation. It seriously makes us so happy. Tell us if you're listening. Every time someone says, oh, I've been listening to your podcast, I get a huge smile on my face. It really makes us happy. So thank you for listening. Yeah. And thank you, of course, to Colleen Deeker. And Jeffrey Baldinger for our incredible theme music. And also Jesse Ulrich, our, our producer, uh, who does an ex- excellent job producing and editing our podcast. Really, really appreciate that so much and everything. And we really, we really couldn't do it without you. So we really, really appreciate it. Um, we'll be coming. We're we're gonna we're gonna we're taking a little bit of a of a break, but we'll be coming in soon uh, in in about uh, two three weeks with our next uh, podcast, which is really really exciting, um, and uh, we'll be able to put that out soon. Uh, but if you have any topic suggestions, let us know, uh, and we'll be able to put it out there. Uh, our next uh, podcast episode topic, if you're interested, is in honor of Martin Luther King. I love Martin Luther King's spiritual message, and we'll be talking about sort of the parallels between the Torah message and Martin Luther King's message. You know, what are the parts of Martin Luther King's message, strictly really from his sermons that he gave, which are so beautiful. Uh, and we're going to be discussing some of his sermons and sort of how as Jews we can sort of internalize those elements, speaking of productive religious syncretism. Thank you so much, everybody. And Thanks, take everyone. it away, Colleen and Jeffrey. Come celebrate the words of Torah with Marcus and Rachel.